Kia ora e te Kotina toku ingawa. Uh, welcome this morning, everybody. It is good to be here. I am Tina. I'm one of the pastors here. No my hari mai ki te whare karakia. Welcome to this house of prayer, this house of worship this morning. It is good to be together. Does anyone know the name of the song that was playing as we were chit-chatting this morning? And if you don't, it probably just means you are very present to whoever you were with. Any ideas? No one knows? All right, Aiken? It was. It was called Numb Little Bug. And I want to start off talking about two songs this morning, and Numb Little Bug is the first one. Uh, The words in the chorus go like this, do you ever get a little bit tired of life, like you're not really happy but you don't want to die, like you're hanging by a thread but you've got to survive because you've got to survive, like your body's in the room but you're not really there, like you have empathy inside but you don't really care, like you're fresh out of love but it's been in the air and my past repair, a little bit tired of trying to care when I don't, a little bit tired of quick repairs to cope, a little bit tired of sinking, there's water in my boat, I'm barely breathing, trying to stay afloat, so I've got these quick repairs to cope, guess I'm just broken and broke. First song, here is the second song, Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, We invite your spirit into this place to be speaking and we soften our hearts before you. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you can spot the contrast here. It's a little obvious. So the first song, a modern one, uh, often on my kids' playlists in the car when we're going places, tells the story of modern life and individuals who aren't really happy, but they're not so unhappy that they want to die, uh, who feel like numb little bugs, and who are reaching for quick repairs to cope. And the song earlier talked about waiting for the uh, prescription to arrive, and uh, whatever else they can get their hands on as a repair to make them feel good. The second paints a picture of a tree. The tree is by a stream. It has leaves which don't wither even when the heat comes on. It produces the right fruit in the right season. And this vibrant, productive tree, according to Psalm 1, is something humans can be like. I've shared a few times recently that I've been recovering over the last few years from a time, a season of exhaustion. And in those years of recovery, plants and trees have become very important to me, like physical plants in my garden, trees in my neighborhood that I can see from my bedroom window, but also images of trees in scripture, like this one in Psalm 1. And as I worked in my garden, which I love, during the early stages of my recovery from being so exhausted, one of the questions I kept asking God was, 
what are we really here for, Lord? Like, what are we really here for? What is the purpose of a human life? And I was already convinced that my Sunday school theology of going to heaven when we die, believe in Jesus and go to heaven when you die, that that was not enough. Like, I was already convinced of that. Uh, furthermore, despite like 20 years or so back, as a church doing uh, the Purpose Driven Life, that whole series, and some of you would have been here for that, um, which I loved, I really loved that series, I still felt there was more to be unearthed. What is the purpose of human life? What are we here for? What do you expect from us, God? And I guess during a season of stopping and pulling back and being less productive, it makes sense that you ponder purpose and meaning, and I wonder if some of you have been in that kind of place before. And so as I weeded and I dug and I planted and I trimmed and I staked and I fertilized and I composted, uh, I asked God these questions. And I sensed in reply a nudge to consider the plants right in front of me. What is the purpose of a plant, Tina? What is the purpose of these worms here? What is the purpose of this tree? What is the purpose of anything that God creates? And what came to me was that the purpose of all of these things was for them to flourish and be as fully as possible what they were meant to be. The tomatoes plant, its job, its purpose is to put roots down and out and to grow steady and then push up into branches and leaves and then flowers and fruit and produce that can be harvested and used to sustain life. That is God's intention for plants. It's his intention for anything that he makes and it is his intention, I came to realize, for us as well, especially those who love and follow Jesus, to grow deep roots, grounding ourselves in the soil of his truth, being fed and watered and nourished by his word and by his spirit, being intricately woven into his family, like the roots of plants, which are incredibly, scientists are just discovering the extent of this, incredibly interconnected in the soil. Like, soil is not just dirt. Soil is this amazing, rich, complex, fertile product with everything interconnected under the soil. In fact, these days, you shouldn't actually pull out your plants when you harvest them. You should cut them off and allow the roots to stay. Like that, that in itself is kind of new for those of us into gardening. Um, so interconnected like that with each other and then to push up into our gifts and into our strengths and produce fruit that is beneficial to the world around us, these gifts of love and bounty that we give back just like a tree produces flowers and fruit and also shade and also shelter for creatures, for wildlife. Now it's like this vision of life, we are meant to be like these flourishing plants, but many people today feel like they are more in song one than in song two, more in the numb little bug than in the psalm, psalm one. 
just holding on, just surviving, and looking for quick repairs to cope. My glass of wine at the end of the day, my coffee in the morning, uh, a relationship will, will make things right, um, a drug will make things right, or purchasing and consuming will make things right. It'll give me the happiness I need in this moment. Or planning for a holiday. Uh, and there are all these voices that are urging us towards these kinds of quick repairs, promising us flourishing in the good life. Social media with its curated photos of everyone seeming to live the beautiful life, telling us that the good life looks like endless fun and endless pleasure. Advertising, telling us that the good life involves more buying and more consuming filling our homes with stuff, and then we will feel like we are flourishing and happy. Movies and TV shows generally telling us that the good life is one of sexual fulfillment, is the pinnacle of human experience. And it is easy to be drawn in by these voices. This culture that is all around us, that is speaking to us all the time via our devices and our smartphones, which are with us almost all the time. This culture that seeks to influence and shape and essentially disciple us along the lines of the story that it is telling. But it is this very culture that is producing the people who feel a lot of the time like these numb little bugs. Many of you would have seen or heard of the documentary The Social Dilemma, which interviews a number of big tech former employees, tech companies like Facebook, Twitter, uh, Google, ex-employees, because these guys have all left, and mostly for ethical reasons, uh, dismayed by the lack of moral compass in these organizations. So dismayed, in fact, that many of them keep their own children away from the very apps and programs that they themselves have helped to develop. And many of them point out that these tech companies throw billions of dollars and the brightest 20-something-year-old brains at working out, out how to distract and how to addict individuals so they, i.e. we, are on our screens as much as possible. Like, that is their goal. They put the money behind it. They put the brains behind it to keep me distracted and addicted. That is their purpose. And then, once we're addicted, we are exposed to advertising with targeted products that the algorithms have worked out will most likely seduce us, envying our peers, envying the celebrities who seem to have attained the good life that we have not. And it is leaving us sad. It is leaving us depressed. It is leaving us anxious. It is leaving us numb. The story that we are being told is not one of life. It is not one of flourishing. It is not one that produces people overflowing in love with capacity to love. The way we are living in our modern Western world is not one of flourishing and love. It is not the tree from someone with the green leaves even in times of drought, producing a life-giving fruit. And you know, it's not just someone that promises this vision Let's have a look at a few other verses. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, 
whose confidence is in him, they will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Isaiah 58, 11. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Ezekiel 17:23 On the mountain heights of Israel I will plant it it will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar birds of every kind will nest in it they will find shelter in the shade of its branches the good life according to these verses is people becoming like these beautiful flourishing thriving plants and trees and gardens where creatures can find shelter and shade and protection despite drought, despite living in a sun-scorched land. But how? How do we attain this kind of beautiful life? How do we grow into people of love in a sun-scorched land, post-COVID, in a recession, in a cost-of-living crisis, with mortgage rates sky-high and climate change and lives that are so, so, so busy? How Is this even possible? If you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew 11, 28 and 29. This is a very familiar verse, one of the teachings of Jesus. Let's read it together. Then Jesus said, Come to me. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Jesus was a first century rabbi or teacher and like all rabbis he had his own set of teachings and these teachings were known as a yoke not the egg type talk to the person next to you please what is being talked about here by a yoke some of you will know very well and others might have no idea have a chat Okay, I'm going to uh, continue on. You can give me a wave if you think you got this definition right. So a yoke was a wooden frame that was placed over animals like oxen to help align them so they would pull together in the same direction. Who was on the right page? Yes. Who was still stuck on eggs? (laughs) Okay, just pulling on my other former life as an English teacher at high school, different spellings, okay, Y-O-L. L-K for the yoke of the egg. This is Y-O-K-E. So, uh, well done those of you who um, had that figured out. So, a rabbi had a yoke that was placed on his followers metaphorically. So, the yoke was the wisdom, the expectations, the teachings, the way of life that he was passing on to his students. And so, Jesus is saying that his teachings, his way of life, 
his call of people into certain ways to live will not weary or burden his followers, but will result in rest for their souls. Jesus had an end goal for people, and it was rest in their soul. And he wanted to show them how to get there. When he called his first disciples, inviting them to follow him, uh, that was an invitation of incredible honor. Like, not everybody was called to be a disciple. It was the highest level of learning in ancient Israel. The best word we have for following a rabbi today would be our word apprentice. So when you think of someone who leaves school and goes to be an apprentice to learn how to be an electrician or learn how to be a builder and learn how to be a plumber, and they are an apprentice. Hey, Mike? Yes. How long for, Mike? Forever. (laughs) Feels like that, eh? It involves a lot of time and a huge commitment. He did not invite them to believe in him so they would go to heaven when they died. As a side note, he invited them to follow him. And John Mark Comer, which um, Ron has mentioned, he summed that up, that apprenticeship process up, as meaning three things. And you will have heard us start to mention these last year. I'm going to mention them again today. It meant that you were with your rabbi. It meant that you sought to become like your rabbi. And it meant that you tried to do what your rabbi did. These three goals are going to underpin our teaching at MCC this year, being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what he did. This is the full journey of our faith, and often we want to jump straight into the doing what he did part. We love his teaching on the Good Samaritan, and we want to live that kind of giving, sacrificial life, or we hear his teaching on loving our enemies, and we strive to be the same, but we miss the being with part, and the becoming like part, and we wonder why the doing what he did part is so hard. And it's because we're only living part of the call, part of the vision. If we want to live the life that Jesus lived, that kind of life, we have to imitate him in all of our life. And John Mark Homer and writers before him like Dallas Willard have said this kind of thing. If you want the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus So how did Jesus live? What was the whole of Jesus' life? How did Jesus live out his days that enabled him to think and act and respond so differently? Now, okay, yes, he was divine. He was the son of God, but he was also fully human. And this was also the way of life that his followers lived after him and for many centuries since. How did he do it? How did they do it? Jesus lived deeply connected to his Father, and he lived a lifestyle that was life-giving. He rested. He fasted. He moved slowly. He practiced Sabbath. He sought out stillness. He sought out solitude. He practiced gratitude. He lamented. He ate and drank with 
all kinds of different people and often. He had a tight community around him. He lived simply. He prayed often and honestly and deeply. In contrast, most individuals in our Western world do not rest well, but feel restless most of the time. Indulge rather than fast. Move quickly and are always busy. Most do not practice Sabbath. Most are afraid of quiet and aloneness. Most are quicker to complain than be grateful. Generally rush through grief. Eat and drink, yes, but often more than is needed and generally with similar kinds of people. We are isolated and increasingly lonely. We live cluttered and consuming lives, not simple lives, and do not seek connection with God in prayer. That's the generalization for most of our Western world. What a contrast. And unfortunately, many of us who seek to follow Jesus are still caught in the ways of our world when it comes to our habits. We might read the Bible a couple of times a week. We might pray for five minutes every now and then. We might come to church once or twice a month, but we are miles away from the lifestyle of Jesus. And so we come to our direction for the year. It's a new direction for many of us as we seek to throw ourselves into the practices and habits that Jesus lived. And it's not part of many Protestant traditions these days, although slowly churches are rediscovering their heritage. And I say rediscovering because until a few hundred years ago, these were part of normal Christian discipleship. When someone decided to follow Jesus, the next step was often fasting or solitude or regular rhythms of prayer, or all of those. For new Christians these days, the next step is generally more learning, more understanding, unpacking the Bible. And don't get me wrong, this is crucial to growth. We need to know and study and wrestle with Scripture. But we need more than this. Protestant churches have tended to distance themselves from the range of spiritual practices we see in the life of Jesus in part because of the excessive and abusive forms of these in the medieval church. So self-denial that ended up as self-harm as people sort of flagellated, beat, them, beat their bodies, deprived themselves of normal human necessities like warmth and shelter and food for long periods of time. But it ended up the whole baby and bathwater scenario. When we discarded these practices at their worst, we also lost them at their best. And we lost so much good. And many of the habits that sustained and empowered Christians for centuries fell by the wayside. When we look back to Psalm 1, the tree by the stream, the tree that is lush and fruitful, it isn't just anyone that can be like that. It is the one who follows a certain way of life. So let's have a look at those. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. So these people, these trees by streams of water, choose carefully what and who will influence them. 
They don't keep in step with those who have destructive, harmful, scoffing, cynical lives. And they choose to find their delight in God. They choose to set their minds on his ways, to keep their minds fixed on him, for this to be their default, their practice, their habit, a life of focus and delight in their creator. And so this year will be a year of growing in our habits and in our practices and in the disciplines that enable us to focus on and delight in our creator. Rhythms of life that the ancients used, that Jesus and the early church had as their norm in order that we might live the life Jesus has called us to with greater power, becoming those trees by streams of water and growing into people of love, which is always the end goal for followers of Jesus. As a leadership team, we were struck by something. We were struck by how closely these three goals, learning to be with our rabbi Jesus, becoming like our rabbi, and doing what our rabbi did, how closely they align with our vision for the church. Have a chat to the person next to you. Loved, equipped, sent. Can you see the connection? Have a chat. I hope you can see that because it kind of stood out for us. What does it mean to know that I am loved? And can I just just pause here for a moment? If there is anyone here today and you don't yet know that you are deeply loved by the creator of the universe, that is the baseline for everything we are talking about today. And so I just want to pause and acknowledge you and tell you that there is a creator who loves you and made you and who is calling you into his way of life. So loved just fits with being with Jesus. Our vision is that this place is a place where people would know they are loved. How do they know they are loved? By being with Jesus. What does it mean that I am equipped? What is the point of becoming more equipped? Becoming like Jesus. What does it mean to be sent? It means doing what Jesus did and wrestling with what he would do if he were me. Jumping into this paradigm for this year doesn't feel like a huge leap. It feels like we are already well on the journey. And so Robin will bring us our message next week on being with Jesus, which for me, honestly, if I'm honest, is the most exciting part in this whole journey, the area that has been the biggest growth area in my life in the last few years. And she will explore what it means to live deeply connected to Jesus day by day, moment by moment. Obviously, the first century disciples had Jesus with him in the flesh. Okay? We don't have that. We don't have that. But we have his spirit. How do we live in a constant state of awareness of and connection with the spirit of Jesus? So Robin will unpack that in her message, and then we will unpack it further the following week in our house churches. Then Libby will explore what it means to become like our rabbi. What does it mean to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus? And how do we change? What are the current stories that we have unknowingly adopted from our culture? And how might Jesus want to challenge these? Uh, Transformation comes through practice. It comes through training and retraining. It happens in community. It happens with the enabling of the Holy Spirit. And Libby will speak to all this, and then we will wrestle with it in our house church discussions. 
Thirdly, Josh Taylor will be speaking on what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? What was the main purpose of his coming? Was it simply to die and rise again? Or was there more to it than that? What did he do aside from teaching? And how does all that translate into our modern post-Christian world? What would Jesus do if he were me in my suburb with my job in my household, with my giftings and finance and time. So many good questions for Josh to explore and then for us to unpack in house churches the week after. Then we get to Easter and after Easter, we'll pause for Easter and then we jump into a series that will explore in more detail some of these ancient practices. We will cover slowing in a world of hurry, fasting, in a world of indulgence, scripture in a world where everything is relative and up to me, and you make your own truth, simplicity in a world of excess, quiet in a world of noise, and then we are going to do a deep dive into Sabbath, eight weeks on Sabbath, unpacking this, this practice of rest and worship and slowing and delight. And with all of these teachings, there are going to be practices that accompany them, and you're going to get very used to preachers saying, so for the next couple of weeks, our practice is blah, 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 jump on the website, check it out. There will be one or two practices after every sermon that we encourage you to engage with and incorporate into your life. We are going to pause at this point and cue Karen and Leon down the back who are going to jump us into our da -da 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 -da, MCC web page, website. Now, how do you find these practices, you may be asking? Well, let me show you. So, at the very top, in tiny writing that you can't see, there is a button that says, what's on? If you could see it, yeah, that one, yep, you would see there is a drop-down list, and at the very bottom of it, it says practices. You click on that, and it brings up this page here, the way of Jesus, practices and resources, and it's got a little explanation of our year and what we're doing, and then our first series, which we are starting today, Apprenticed to Jesus. What is the series about? It has a link to our sermons and how you can catch up on sermons and I would be encouraging you to listen to every sermon this year. All right, they will be building on each other. And if you miss one, go back. Listen to it during the week. If you don't have Spotify and you don't know how to get Spotify, ask someone under 50, all right? And they will put it on your phone for you, all right? All the under 50s, that is your job. If anyone comes to you and goes, you look under 50, please help me with Spotify, please say yes. Okay. Uh, so you listen to the sermons, and then under that, there are some recommended practices from the sermon that week. Further down, not quite that far yet, there are some, also some recommended podcasts. Now, as we've said, a lot of the teaching this year is in connection to a, a book which is called Practicing the Way and to uh, a guy called John Mark Comer, and he has excellent content. So those of you who like to go a bit deeper, uh, you will find great stuff here. So we have hyperlinked 
uh, again to Spotify, the first four messages in a series that he gave. The rest in the series are also excellent, uh, but we would recommend that you start with these and you will see that they fit exactly with what we are covering over the next uh, few weeks. And deeper down, further down, you will see also some recommended readings, which are at the moment pretty pictures, but next week they will also be hyperlinked, so you can click on them. It will take you to Amazon, which gives you a blurb about what each book is about, and um, if you want to order them, then you can. Uh, there are a limited number of some of these books floating around, so you could also shoulder tap me and just say, are any of these available at the moment? Uh, just on the Practicing the Way book itself, uh, there is a copy of that down the back, and you are welcome to have a little thumb through of it. And if you would like to order a copy at the discounted price, thank you, Mr. Finance Man, that will be $20. Put your name down, and we will put through an order for those once we've got a few names. Um, there are five copies of that floating around. Most of them are with the preaching team at the moment, um, but some of them will come available through the MCC library as well in time. But that's, uh, we are really wanting to resource each other in this journey, and we hope that this will be helpful. Just one note for anyone who will never go on the MCC webpage. Is that you? Who will never go open their, 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 their webpage because they just don't have a computer in the house? Okay, Aria, can you take this to anybody who waves at you? Okay, don't have a computer, will never go on the MCC Facebook or um, webpage. So this is the um, practice for this week. Okay, so you're getting this and we'll have this for people um, each time who will never be able to get on there so that Everybody is on the journey together, whether you are an online person or not. Okay. So, our practice for this week is simply one of noticing. Uh, it's observing your own life and how you spend your time and seeing where you can create space to enter into a deeper life with Jesus. You know, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, his first response was not to launch into the Lord's Prayer. He started with logistics. He told them to go into the inner room of their house, which was kind of like a pantry or closet or storage space, to go there alone to close the door and to pray. He gave them logistics. And this is where we are starting this week, with logistics. We are looking at our schedules, working out what can be cut in order to make space to connect daily with Jesus. We have to start there. We cannot be adding spiritual practices to overfilled lives. We just can't. What can we remove in order to say in order to say yes to spiritual practices and to time with Jesus, we have to be saying no to some things. What do we need to be saying no to? Can we go to bed earlier so we can get up earlier and have time in the quiet before the chaos erupts? For those of you with little children, okay, that's when I find my time. And do you know that some of the ancients, they used to get up in the middle of the night when the house was silent because that's the only time that they could get alone, quiet space. That's how committed they were to this. We kind of just got a bit lazy. We think it's too hard. 
Can we cut out some of our TV? Can we cut out some of our hobby time? Can parents of very young children give each other 15 minutes, 30 minutes, every day, every other day for time alone with God? Like We've got to be strategic about it and respect to those with very young children. Okay, You need to work this out for yourself. This is all invitation. And this is all encouraging you towards best practice. This is not to guilt trip you. Work out what works within your schedule. But pause and notice and look at your schedule. Look at the logistics this week. Yes, you can pray on the go. Of course, God is everywhere. But there are things that happen in the quiet and in the alone that cannot happen in the frantic. And we need to be finding space for this in our lives. We are also going to be building in some accountability around this this year because we're totally committed to this journey as a leadership. Every second week in our house church discussions, we will be asking each other, how are you going with whatever practice we're working on? How are we going at making space to be with God? What is God teaching us in our alone times together? How are we going with our slowing or our fasting or our gratitude or whatever practice we're particularly focusing on? One final thing from me. I accidentally cut the top off one of my tomato plants a month or two back. I thought it was a lower branch. I was trimming for airflow, but it wasn't. It was the main stem. Uh, And it wasn't tied up properly, and about half of the tomato plant got locked off. What to do, I wondered. Would it survive? Should I pull it out? Would it die? I left it. And the plant didn't die. It continued to grow. It didn't get as tall as the others. It didn't produce as much fruit as the others. But it did grow. And it did fruit big, fat, red tomatoes. I realise that all this talk of flourishing and beautiful trees by riversides can sound like pie in the sky for those of us who are in places of real struggle and suffering at the moment. And my heart groans with you if you're in a place like that. But our Bible verses don't paint a picture of a perfect life for the tree. They talk about drought and heat in a sun-scorched land. And I want to remind us that life does not have to be perfect for trees to flourish. We don't have to have perfect physical health or mental health or an amazing marriage or children or years of education or be earning lots of money. We can still flourish in drought if we have our roots deep enough in the right soil and if we have life-giving rhythms that are built into our lives. Perhaps our flourishing will take longer Or our fruit might be smaller initially if we're coming from a place of trauma or deep struggle. But nowhere in God's word does it say that this is only for the fit and the able and the healthy and the together. Life is for all. We bathed in that last year in the book of John. Life to the full, streams of water bubbling up within us, John 4. Bread that satisfies and removes our hunger, John 6. Life for all. And that is the journey that God is inviting us into this year. Deeper into a life that is life-giving. Life with Jesus, more time with him, more hearing his voice, 
over the clamoring voices of our world, growing up stronger into the people of love that Jesus calls us to be. It won't be a fast journey. This isn't one of the quick repairs from our song earlier. This is a long, slow path of learning the fullness of the way of Jesus. Discipleship is what author Eugene Peterson has referred to as a long obedience in the same direction. And that's the invitation for 2024 and beyond. Let's pray. There are some of us here, Lord, who are very tired. There are some of us here, Lord, that are very restless in our spirits. There are some of us that are very anxious. And that is not life to the full. And that is not a tree planted by streams of water. And that is not the rest you promise when we yoke ourselves to you. So, Lord, take us on a new path. We open ourselves to you. We give you our schedules. We give you our hobbies. We give you our screen time. We make you Lord of all. Grow us into the people of love that you dream we can be. People who are able to love because they are rested and secure and not anxious and not restless. We invite your spirit to do his work in our lives. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen.